Welcome to the Mind Sensei Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Taz, and I'll be taking you on a journey to the world of martial arts and introduce listeners to some of the most aspiring and knowledgeable practitioners from around the world. Whether you're a seasoned martial artist or a curious beginner, or just enjoy hearing a great story, the Mind Sensei Podcast Down Under is something for everyone. So tune in, sit back, and let us take you on a journey through the world in martial arts. Welcome back to our podcast, where we bring you the best insights and stories in the world of martial arts. In this episode, we continue our conversation with the Kempo Master Sifu Z. If you tuned in to part one of our conversation, you already know how incredible Sifu Z's journey has been. In part two, we'll dive in deeper into the world of Kempo and learn even more about Sifu Z's unique approach to the art. We'll discuss some of the biggest challenges Sifu Z has faced throughout his journey and how he's overcome them in his signature determination and focus. We'll also explore some of the most important principles and how Sifu Z incorporates them into his teachings. So whether you're a martial arts practitioner or someone who loves to learn about inspiring stories, this episode is for you. We can't wait to share Sifu Z's insights and experiences with you. So let's get started. Did you end up doing any training with Mr. Parker at all? You know, just in seminars. That was that was the extent of it as far as my time on the mat with him. You know, I was out there as far as private lessons or anything else. No. Uh, did he go to my house? You want to have tournaments up here? Yes. Was that a lesson type structure? It, it was a lesson from the standpoint of you're sitting around with Mr. Labonte, Mr. Kelly, Mr. Planis, all the group up there and listening to the stories Mr. Parker has. It, to me, that was a lesson. But I mean, I, as hands-on, other than a seminar type setting, no. Yeah, sure. Do you have any um, great stories that you can tell from any of those interactions? Something that comes to mind, whether it was with, with Mr. Parker or with <laughs> Mr. Planus or uh, Middle of Bounty? Well, or... you know, the, the, well, <laughs> Mr. Labonte got me he's always he was always doing something to me. god rest his soul i mean that's i love that guy there was a uh a workshop that was going on with uh professor wally j and he and mr Bounty knew each other you know so you know i asked if i can go you know take take the class and stuff so lo and behold you know i went up to mr j and and he said oh yo yo you know i said yes i am sir what I found out is I was his Yuki all days that were there on that thing. And I had never been turned around into a pretzel in so many different ways by a man that was, I mean, he was twice my age and moved with like a, an agility of a cat. And I remember one, one lunch, you know, when Mr. J took off, I think he was going to the restroom or something. His wife comes over and I'm sitting there. It's after a day or two of training. And I'm looking at my wounds. I'm sore. I mean, this guy is—he—he he knows how to move. And I mean, I was moving in, in places I never moved before. You know, <laughs> she comes up and she goes, "You're very lucky." She goes, "He's—you he, get a feel how he does things." I said, "Yes, ma'am." <laughs> so after lunch, I, I learned one thing, and, and one thing he was good with: when you point a finger at him, he puts his palm on your hand, and he'll turn you every which way but loose. 
And it came to the point after he did that a couple times, he goes, Mario, you, you'll point at me again. I said, sir, I said, no. <laughs> I didn't want to point at him anymore because, man, every time I did, I was I was twisting around upside down. At <laughs> he turned me every which way but loose on it. But I tell you what, that was one of the greater experiences uh, that Mr. Labonte got me hooked into, um, amongst others. But it was fun. I called him up later, and he was laughing his head off at me. You know, <laughs> that that was a good one. That was that was pretty enjoyable. You know, when I look back at it now, it was pretty special. And you know, you, you don't know how, how important those moments are in time until they pass. I mean, at the time, it was cool. It was great. You had your quick story, and life goes on. Now you look back after you know gentlemen of that stature pass on. You think to yourself, you know, I, I was more fortunate than I really gave credit to at the time. You know, you didn't realize, you know, the amount of knowledge that's imparted from them to to us. And, and that's that's happened several times in my training you know, over the years. I look back now and I think to myself, you know, it was a it was a blessing to be able to to have that experience, you know, for the growth as we move forward. And the stories go on. I mean, on and on and on. One when with Mr. Halliburton, and that's probably a new name for a lot of us. He was from Fresno and he's probably one of the greatest Shotokan practitioners ever. He did a lot of helping with me and, and mentoring with me when I threw the tournaments because he, he was phenomenal at helping. And, and he and Mr. Bounty were friends, so was Mr. Kelly. You know, I took some classes with him and learned. And he had me do a, uh, a demo one day with Kanazawa Sensei. He, he's probably one of the greatest Shotokan instructors there are. I mean, with a guy like Mr. Halliburton studying with him, it was good. He says, I want you to to do some of the Chinese stuff with him. I'm thinking to myself, this gentleman is a Shotokan guy and he's going to do Chinese push hand. So I went along with him and that guy was, I mean, Kanazan Sensei was so phenomenal with his touch and his motion. It was unbelievable. It, that was a great experience in itself too, you know, just, just for a couple you know, so I mean, the stories, they just keep going and going and going. You know, there's there's so many great ones out there that that make you laugh. I'll tell you one that was funny. And it was, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 years ago at the Anasano Academy. The front desk receptionist said, hey, can you sit here for a minute? Because my class didn't start. It wasn't going to start for about another half an hour. And she goes, can you take the desk for me just for a little bit? And I said, sure. She goes, watch that dog in the corner over there. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, dog in the corner? a little white puppy in the corner, you know, so not a pup, but you know, a little dog. And all of a sudden this guy comes down from upstairs and I knew they were doing some photo shooting up there, you know, and doing a, a scene. And this guy comes down, he's got hair disheveled everywhere, beads on, dirty. And he comes up to me and he looks at me and he goes, where is my Norman? And I'm thinking, Norman, who's Norman? He goes, where is my Norman? He started elevating his, his tone a little bit. I'm thinking, oh, God, I pissed him off without even trying. But then he sees the dog. And he says, Norman, there's my Norman. So he opens the door and gets a dog and does all that stuff. And he asked me again. He says, have you been treating my Norman good? I mean, just I'm thinking, who the heck is this guy? So after he left, they came down from upstairs, you know, and, and she goes and she's laughing. She almost got tears in her eyes. She goes, did you have somebody come down here? I said, yeah, man, some guy was just working me over about that dog, Norman. Oh, she goes, they're laughing so hard upstairs at you right now. I said, why? She goes, that was Rob Schneider. 
they said, they got you, <laughs> you know, he's a comedian over here in the States. <laughs> and they were doing a photo shoot upstairs with Guru Dan, and a few other people. He came down to check on his dog and he saw me. So he thought he'd test out his comedy, which worked. <laughs> But it was it was one of those. I mean, he worked me over big, and I'm thinking, golly man, I didn't want to make him mad. I didn't know who he was, you know. I said, you know who he is now, so that's different. Oh yeah, I know who he is now. You know, we you, you get to you know one thing about the academy, you see a lot of people come through there. You know that that are a lot of the stunt players that come through there, and you know some of the things you think these guys have wires on and and different type of deals, and they're doing all these tumbles and air stunts. I, I got to tell you. Some may, what I saw about three months ago down there, they had a, a group of people come down and working out and they had moves that were second to none. I was looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, where's the wires at? But, you know, it was a, it was a, a, a pretty unique experience just to see how those, those youngsters move around. And when they say youngsters, they're all probably 18 to 22 years old. So I know my body wasn't going to be doing that yeah. <laughs> as much as I wanted to. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. So tell me, do you have, uh, you obviously have an organization, or I can see your patch in the background. Tell us a little bit about that. With, with the patch in the background, I wanted to to have an assemblance of growth for people that, and I'm not trying to make it so it's so tough to, to get the patch. It's similar to the Parker Planets patch. Once you learn the system and, and he's confident with it, you know, you'll, you'll test for the, uh, the small uh, planus patch. This is similar to the same. And what I did is I made it so, you know, Kempo is the base and that's what the K is in the center of the triangle there. And then I had the Filipino, the JKD and the Salat around the outsides of it. So if they have a good core understanding of their Kempo and they can pick up enough information from the other arts that I teach, you know, then they can earn their patch on that thing or become a part of the group through that. And what I want to see is, is a good understanding of how to flow and how to implement cross-training within your own art and not become so stagnant and such a memorized position where you don't allow the flow to take place. And that's what I've done with this. And I've really I'm starting to see a lot of good results, you know, in Europe, you know, from the group over there, well, Amar's group, I mean, they're, they're picking it up. The guys over here in the States, you know, I'm seeing big step forward as far as the fluidity going on it. And it, I think it goes back to what Mr. Planet says, even in the Kempo, you know, he says, don't stop the flow. Stopping's wrong. Just accent it as you go through, but make sure when you're doing that, you're being impactful. And, and I believe that more true than not. I think with a lot of the Filipino and the Salat type motion, even the JKD, it forces you to be fluid and it, it just really blends well into our Kempo type training. Until you've sort of experienced some of the other arts and you, you've, I think you've got to get really high up in the Kempo tree before you understand how important flow is. Not sort of until you're sort of exploring with technique progressions and things like that. And then you get involved in cross training with other arts that you're like, you know, flow is quite important to what we do. Otherwise doesn't matter how many techniques you know if they're not going to flow you ain't going anywhere well there's a lot of truth to that and i think that the biggest thing like judo you've got so many different moves but you know when it comes down to utilization and, and application of them you're only going to use three to five of them i mean that's going to be your go-to's where you're going but you'll know how to answer the other ones because you've been exposed to it and i think that part's good but i'm in agreement it takes time to understand when i say understand get the body to react 
to flow without having to think about it and keeping away from chasing that technique. And that that's easier said than done. Agreed. It's easier said than done. How long have you been teaching? You know, I think since my Kempo days, probably we were, I, whatever it was. I mean, I got to start teaching when I was purple belt level, the eye of seniors in there. But, you know, I, you, you start teaching some of the, the basic introductory classes and, you know, some of the punches and kicks and movements, you know, the shuffles. And so it's been an ongoing process. And I liked it. It was going back to that old saying, you know, the highest form of learning is by teaching. And that was from Socrates. I mean, so you'll learn more when you teach about your own art. And I think that's what, in fact, I know it helped me out a lot. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the most, it's when you start teaching, you realize that you've got to know the material 10 times better than you do know it. Probably one of the eureka moments when student, you're working with a student, they do something completely different. And then you just go, hey, <laughs> you just discover a new concept or theory based on what they just did and went, yeah. they didn't do what you wanted, but that was pretty cool. I better put that in my little notes for a seminar later or, or a lesson, you know, so. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Something's always popping up. I mean, you, you know, the, the greatest teachers, I always tell people when I jump on the mat, if it's a white belt through a high rank, it doesn't matter. I said, you know what? I said, this is my lucky day. And they look at me kind of funny. I said, I'm going to learn something from you guys. I'm going to learn something different. I'm going to learn a different question, but I will walk up this mat with an extra nugget of learning. And it's so true. You just have to be open to it. One of the reasons I got the podcast going, my big changes in my life, I'll become the, I can't really say it on the podcast. I'm not waiting guy anymore. I'm, I'm not hanging around for anything. I'm just doing things. I'm, I'm pulling out all stops. Yeah, a well-respected well respected on that statement i get it one of the great parts about it was uh, we went to texas camp i think in when mr wedlake had it and sigung was there and we were around by the campfire i recorded the conversation so sigung was telling a few stories and it was because i said look yeah i think when we first met i wanted to record your seminar but i hadn't met you before and you're like who's this turkey um i don't want him youtube and my stuff <laughs> everywhere and you um you said Sure, you go and ask that gentleman over there and you point it to Sigung Labani and if he says it's okay, then you can video the seminar. And I said, you know, look, I come a long way from Australia, so I like to record everything because when I get home, everyone asks me, what'd you learn? And you're like scratching your head because you're gone for four weeks. So I go back over the videos and oh, look yeah. at it again. You said, if Sigung approves it, no problem. And just as I turned around uh, to head over to Sigung to ask him, because, you know, that's what we Aussies do. We have more front than anyone. You were, yep. like, you were like this going... Do not let him video this session, you know. I, I, I caught you out of the corner of my eye, so I just got my camera folded up and put it in my bag. Okay, this guy does not want me to video his seminar. That's fine. He doesn't, he doesn't know me from a bar of soap, so that's that's okay. But now as we got to know each other, you're like, yeah, he's cool. He's all right. I know he's not going to do anything weird with it. So, Well, you know, with, with some of my stuff too, you know, some of the knife stuff, and, and like Guru Nisano always tells us, he says, be very cautious on who we show it to. And there's a lot of things that he really promotes us not to show because of the, you know, the vast knife type movements. I mean, they're, they're pretty drastic. And he says, if you get to know people and you, you know where their heads are at, just like us, I won't hold anything back. But up to that point, he says on knife type of instruments that you're going to be working on, 
got to be a little bit prudent on how you, you, know, you share the knowledge on that because you can put the right things in the wrong hands and heaven only knows what will come out of that. You know? So we, we've always proceeded with caution with that uh, knife type work. Because I didn't realize that you started your time with Sigung. I think I was talking to the Knights and to Tobin Beach, and they were associated with Sigung um, closer to the end there. What would you say if I said I could let you listen to your instructor one more time and the phone went silent? I'm sure they had a look of this expression on their face. Look, I'm not a psychic. I'm not a, I'm not a nutbag. I recorded a conversation at camp. Uh, Sigung told a story, and it's a really cool story. I think you guys would enjoy it, and it's one of the reasons I started the podcast. Like I had, like I'm the Kempo historian. I like to photograph everything, video everything, record everything for my own posterity. Mm -hmm. And then they were forever grateful that they could get that recording and hear his voice again. I went, that that's that's where it's at, you know. Like if you never lose that yeah, person, it's important. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stories to go back with Seagull. I mean, we were we were there from the inception of it, you know, and, uh, or close as you want to get to the inception. And, and it was, uh, it was nice. It was really nice. You know, a lot of the, I guess I can say it now and, and be correct when I say it, a lot of the old timers, you know, we, we still try to keep in touch with each other and it, it's still heartwarming, you know, from that, that initial growth, because there was tremendous family type environment there. There was really nice. Did you ever get involved with any of the other Kempo practitioners coming through in your journey? You know, I have, I have, yes. You know, because I, I put myself out there because I want to know, I want to, I want to get a good flavor of what's going on and I want to know what their, their thoughts are and their interpretation and, and their promotion of the art. The way you go with the planets type of, of learning, you know, it's always, you know, what are the rules and principles of motion, you know, to back up what you just said? And he says, and I have to quote him on this, you know, he, he, he hears, well, Mr. Parker said, do it this way. And very rarely over the years, and I've been with Mr. Planets for, I mean, a ton of years, do I hear him say, well, Mr. Parker said, you better do it like this. I, I don't hear that. Or he did it like that, which is controversial for me to say that. But, you know, a lot of times we don't hear that. And a lot, or we do hear that, and we don't hear the rules and principles of motion are because this is the best way to initially analyze what you're doing. You can only flow so many different ways, and you can only approach it so many ways. And I think that's that gets missing sometimes. I like having conversations with the, the seniors, my seniors. They can be junior to the rank, but they can be senior in their, their thought process in certain areas in the art. And I want to know, I want to have that conversation with just about everybody I can come in contact with. And I don't care what system they come from, you know, I'll listen. And it's, it goes back to the, the Anasano thought, you know, don't put down anybody, but learn from everybody. I think somebody may have a, a grasp on a different concept of how to learn it. it may not be the right way you want to learn it, but be some valid information, you know, throughout that. Unless you listen to all the information, you can't work out what is the right information and what is the not so right information. You need a standard to gauge it by as well, don't you? Well, absolutely. And, and you know what? Not everything is going to be for everybody. I mean, you know, everybody says, well, I got the system down. Okay, well, what part of it do you excel in? What part do you like the best in? Because you know, not everybody's going to like the same thing, nor are they going to like the same techniques from within that system. They're going to have their own special collection of techniques, no different than 
than like the Star Spangled Banner in the United States here. Sing it in how many different renditions, still the Star Spangled Banner, but at the end of the day, it's getting its point across. And just like your music collector, your phone is going to be different than mine or anybody else's. Everybody's got to have their own flavor to it. I mean, you go to a Chinese restaurant, there's no way you're going to have everything off the menu. It's just not going to happen. You're going to have your favorites and you're going to go to it. The same thing in the martial arts. I believe that to be true. More than not, you're going to have your favorite spots within. And if some cross over into somebody else's likings, hey, lucky day. Okay, so you haven't tried that, ordering everything off the menu? It's pretty good. You should try it. <laughs> I have tried it. I have tried it. It's just it, the ordering is the easy part. It's yeah. the devouring. Yes, you know, and I got yes. a pretty good appetite. <laughs> yes, we went into... I think You it was, fed me well over there. <laughs> and, and you know what real coffee is now, right? <laughs> and now I know what real coffee is. You, you introduced me to that, so I, I have... Yeah, my, many thanks to you. <laughs> my congratulations and commiserations, because once you have good coffee, there's no going back, right? You're absolutely correct. <laughs> you spoiled me. There's no doubt. <laughs> Do you have a, your own organization or, or group that train with you? I have a set of people that that continue to train with me. Yes, it's mostly within the Parker Planus groupings, because and I get outside of that. Because I'll teach at other schools, you know, that had me in and, and have had me in over the years that are not in our association. But in our group, it, it keeps me hopping pretty good. Then I have, you know, private students that come through, professionals, a lot of them, and some athletes coming through. And they're fun to train with, too. And answer your question, yes and no and no and yes. You know, so I, my reach is pretty far, you know, and it doesn't stay right in my own little circle, you know, I, I expand out and, and I try to share something that they don't normally get in their Kempo school. And I'm not going to go in there and try to tell them, hey, you're doing this wrong or you're doing this a different way than we do it. I go in there and try to compliment their their journey and give them something positive to grow off of and become better than they were. Yeah, sure. I also know from firsthand that you're a weapons guy. There's no doubt about that. Who doesn't love a weapon? It was years ago, I think I told you this story before, when Jeff Speakman first came out. The Perfect Weapon movie was still pretty hot over here in Australia, and we had about 100 people at his seminar because we really hadn't had anyone come over of any calibre to this country before in Melbourne. Uh, I think he said to everyone, so it's probably about half the Kempo people, the rest are all half other styles, and people want to see Mr Speakman. And he said, uh, does anyone have a knife? And all the... Kempo freaks run to their bag and start digging out all their trainers, you know, and the other half of the population there just were looking at us like, who are these guys? Like, why do they carry? Because it's not really a done thing over here. And, you know, like we hardly have guns. You don't carry knives and all our bags are full of all these trainers. Do you want this? Do you want the red one or do you want the sharky or do you want the aluminium? Do you want the one that shines or do you want the real knife, you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, this is good. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good moment. So I think any Kempo person is definitely a weapons person. Uh, that's for sure. I want to stop you right there. I remember <laughs> when we did a, in fact, I was teaching a knife class that was at uh, Graham's camp and four years ago, six years ago, you were there. Alex was there and we had no knives. So Alex said, Hey, I'm going to, do you remember that one? <laughs> Alex, goes, I do. Yeah. Don't worry guys. <laughs> That's it. I'm on it. So he goes to the kitchen and brings, <laughs> brings back butter knives. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And I'm looking at these serrated edges. I'm thinking, Oh, this is going to be a mess. But I tell you what, everybody did well and they were respectful with it. Nobody got any blood coming out, but I, 
that was an experience. Yeah. Good for Alex. Good, good, God love Alex. Alex Archard, affectionately known as the Panther, one of my students. That uh, he's very resourceful, eh, man? Yep. Oh, oh, so, very resourceful. I, I have nothing but praise for the guy. Well, <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry, I want to interject that because that, that was a funny story. No, that's great. I love that stuff. One of the times when he did come over, like you have traveled to a lot of different countries, so we'll get into that in a minute. I like telling one of the stories when you came here and we're at my studio teaching. We were doing, I think it was knife on knife technique, and I think it was actually Alex that was your uke at, um, at the time. I think he lunged in, and then typical Marty, he did a move, and he stripped the knife out of his hand. A knife flew up in the air, and as it was up in the air, you didn't even blink and look, and just went bang, and you caught it with the other hand, and it looked like it was all... <laughs> kosher and that was part of the technique you know and everyone's like holy dooly what did he just pull off then you know it was one of those accidental moments and uh, and you go did you get that on film i said i did i did <laughs> but it, it did look pretty cool <laughs> it's like yeah he meant that he oh, meant that, that. Was a fun time <laughs> you know it, it's those moments that you sit there and you think to yourself okay did that really happen okay i'm not going to say anything keep a straight face keep moving <laughs> Yeah, we have a... I hope nobody says, can you do that again? <laughs> yeah. Can I say that again? Sorry, that's a secret technique. We only showed that once. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's that, is, right. <laughs> that is the correct response there. But we have a saying in Australia, when when you have a moment like that, you go out and buy a Tats Lotto ticket, like a lotto ticket, because it's... Um... That's right. That's <laughs> it's one right. One a few million. I do know, you, like we were talking about before, you do like your weapons, and I do know that you actually make training knives and stuff. Tell us a little bit about that and how people were able to get them if they want to grab some training knives off you or get you in for seminars or anything like that. First question is, yes, we do make weaponry and it's myself and Adam Yukitas have made and designed the weapons and they're made out of aluminum. They've got our logo on it and they're all handcrafted on that. We have the, the daggers, we have regular single edge knives, we have swords. Uh, at this point in time. So yes, we do have those. The second thing, yes, if they want seminars, I do travel extensively. I am uh, open for seminars and would love to to make new acquaintances too, you know, as we go forward. How, how do people find you? Do you have a website? Is there somewhere they can reach you? My, my website is just, yeah, my website is just getting redesigned now. So probably Facebook, you know, on Messenger, you can get a hold of me and then we can connect from that point uh, forward, exchanging information. Uh, failing that, they could probably send me a message as well on Facebook because I think it's a bit harder on Facebook if they're not acquaintances or friends. But yeah, it's just is it just Marty Zaninovich on Facebook or Marty Z? I'm Marty Zaninovich, yes. We'll put them up in the show notes so that uh, people are able to reach out to you. Great, thank stuff, you. So. You started your time in Fresno, California, but you're now still in California, yes. but in a uh, different area. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm in Southern California. I'm in Los Angeles is where I'm based out of. You know, I started out in the Fresno area and I never have been immune to traveling in my lessons. When I was in Fresno, it was easy because everything was right there. Other than we'd go up to San Francisco quite a bit up to San Rafael or Petaluma, you know, where Mr. Labonte was at, attend seminars, teachings, take lessons and do whatever we did on that camps, gatherings. And then I travel to tournaments and, and do different things, you know, above and beyond that. And I was always in Arizona, too. So, I mean, I spent, you know, part of my time in Arizona and part of my time in in the Fresno area. So I was always exploring, always studying. You know, I'd go to different dojos and, and train with them. The, 
probably some of the crazier ones were down on the border, you know, where uh, it got a little challenging at times, but it was all good. It was all good and helpful in my growth. I know you've traveled around the world for training. Do you have any favorite spots or great places you've been to or memorable times in different countries? Like I know you've been here to Australia. And that... Well, of course, I'd be, I'd be saying Melbourne's my favorite, you know, so and then in, in respect to Adelaide was good, uh, you know, God rest his soul, you know, Steve, I enjoyed over there in Brisbane. It was nice. Uh, miss him. But yeah, I've, I've enjoyed Australia a lot. The other countries, you know, I go into Scandinavia quite a bit, Germany, Sweden, Denmark, Chile, Ireland. I mean, it's just quite a few, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. but it's fun. I enjoy it a lot. My, my favorite, you know, I think they're all my favorites to a certain extent. I think each one has its own uniqueness to it which is it's special you know it really is and and i enjoy that moment wherever i'm at the people overall in our martial arts world i, I tell you you know it's once you're in it and you're immersed in it there's a lot of nice people out there there really is and and getting to know them is special and and the one thing is you know i take my son just about everywhere and it's nice because when i'm around you know we stay like at your house you know and uh we we stay at their house you know it's you're interacting in the families it's it's like being home it really is and and it's it's a uniqueness a special moment in time that that's second to none i mean and and once a person experiences that you know it, your heart really becomes warm you know to that group yeah, definitely. I think that whole closeness and personal touch is a big thing, you know, as well. But like you said, just the whole camaraderie and the people you might, I sort of credit all the great people I've met in my life to my training, you know, because it does bring out the best yes. in people. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I will tell a story, though, when you did come down and because I had my, my garages set up as a private little training area and we went into the garage and I think we... We disappeared for many, many hours, and I think, you know, over those three, four hours or four hours or five, it might have been five hours or something we were in there for. I don't think anyone, Marty, has stabbed me that many times in my entire <laughs> career than you stabbed me and disarmed me and smacked me with a stick and stabbed me with a knife than I've ever been stabbed in my whole martial arts career. So that was pretty humbling and good to, good to go through, you know. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Thanks, Marty. <laughs> it was a love for my heart, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell. I could tell. <laughs> so that, that's why when people... Oh, I know what you asked me earlier. <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, that's, uh, when people ask me, you know, you know, are you the real deal? I'm like, if you get stabbed more than 300 times in one training session, I think they're the real deal. <laughs> it, it was so funny. You asked me earlier about Mr. Planis and being at my parents' house. You know, he was he was over there. Because, I mean, we virtually his parents, you know, were three or four miles away from each other. So, I mean, we're all close. And he went to school with my cousin, my older cousin. And he was in the living room. My mom and dad were cooking for us. He had this training knife and it wasn't a training knife, it was a real knife, you know, and he did something. And, and this is right when I'm starting with him. I mean, we were probably, I don't know, seven, eight years into the training at that time, you know, and he put this knife across my neck and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, of all things, I got to get the most psycho Kempo teacher 
in the history that there is. And I'm thinking he's got a knife right on my throat. I think, I cannot believe this. You know, I don't want to piss him off right now. <laughs> and and he goes, he goes, boy, real serious. You know how he, he's real dry sense of humor. What are you going to do now? I'm thinking, holy moly, man, this is not good. If I answer it one way, he'll cut me. If I answer it a different way, he'll still cut me. And if he doesn't feel like cutting me, he still may cut me. And he drew it real slow across my neck. And he goes, gotcha. And it was one of Gil Hibben's uh, stiletto daggers. And he dulled off the edge. And he gave it to me that day, you know. And he goes, he says, when you draw, you cut. And he says, here, you just got a lesson. And I'm sitting there thinking, I said, Sifu, you're one crazy dude, man. I said, let's go eat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell my mom and dad to give you a dull knife, not a sharp one. Yeah, go get the butter knives. <laughs> where's Alex? Somewhere else. Where's Alex when you need him, right? <laughs> yeah, where's Alex when you need him? Exactly right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's smart oh, man, God, smart man yeah. too, because he got rid of the evidence. Your fingerprints are on it too now, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> when he was working at a hatch cover up in in uh, Chico, it was a restaurant up there, and. I'd go up wherever he was at. I tried to get my privates in. So we trained during the day. And then it was evening before he was getting ready to go to work. And he grabs one of the steak knives off the table. And we're doing uh, form six. And he's, and people are just looking at us like, God, this guy's crazy. He's going through the moves. And we're doing it. And he's like, do it this way. People are looking because he's very intense when he's teaching, you know, and he, you're thinking he's yelling at you when he's not, he's just talking that way. And I'm playing with his knife. And I said, hey, I said, that thing can cut. And he goes, yeah, you bet you can cut. He says, don't miss. <laughs> but anyway, it was it was pretty good experiences. The the teachers I've trained with, you know, I've I've been very blessed to have some 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 pretty influential teachers that I've been exposed to throughout my career. And and I think that's really important. And I'm I'm appreciative because it's really guided me and, and made me into the person I am today. You know, I thank God for that. So, you know, that's that's been important. The biggest thing is saw and it kind of it it rang true to me. The question that you had, you know, how would you suggest a person starting in the martial arts, you know, begin? And and that's probably one of the hardest questions. If you don't know where to go and trying to find a good qualified instructor, it, it seems like one of the most uphill battles you'll probably ever want to be, you know, dealing with. And we're in it and we know who's who in the zoo, so to speak, you know, so it makes it life a lot easier on your direction. But when you first start, you know, times it's the luck of the draw. And, and I think part of it's geographic because, you know, you want to be close and a lot of the parents don't want to be driving an hour, two hours, an hour class, and then doing it two to three times a week, it makes it tough. So to try to find something that's going to give you a good stepping stone of where you're at, I think is, is key. And I always suggest to people, you know, they should go watch the classes and, and ask a lot of questions. I said, if we have friends in the martial arts that are qualified, you, you need to reach out to them and make sure that you're putting your your child or your loved one in the right spot. I think that's a, a huge component. That's not that easy to answer, you know, and you, you you may not have that luxury, you know, but then again, it could be in the next town over when it's only a, a 20 minute drive versus the, the five or 10 and you're going to get a higher quality education, you know, on the way there. That's a good point you raised because I was chatting to Mr. Rich Hale before, and he's raised a good point. He said that when, when it comes to, you know, your finances and all this sort of stuff, 
or a new something you know you want to you're excited about we we spend a lot of time researching and looking into it but when it comes to martial arts it's as far as i want to drive kind of thing you know you know oh, no, i can't mm-hmm. take it that that's 10 minutes drive from there or it's too far for me to go rather than looking at the value that it's going to provide you know by going that distance because i think in the olden days because we're in melbourne and uh, we used to drive to Sydney. That was a 10-hour drive each way. So we would drive to Sydney for, for mm-hmm. the weekend, spend two days of 14 hours training straight, and then we would just, um, you know, jump in a car and drive back home and then go to work on the Monday kind of thing. So, you know, that was, a, yep. you know, the kind of commitment we made to find the information and train with people. Yeah, I find that to be more of a rarity than not. I mean, I did the same thing as you guys. Mine was a little bit different. You know, I drive to Chico out of Fresno, which is a six hour drive one way. And then uh, when I was in Arizona, you know, I catch a flight into LA every Friday night, spend two and a half days up there training at the academy and then fly right back. If you're willing to make the investment, it will pay back in spades to you. I mean, you you can't go wrong with it if you're committed and you're honest with your training. I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest things, you know, the and one of the old Seagung sayings, you know, you'll leave the art before the art leaves you, I think tends to be more true than not, because you'll find a reason you don't want to go and make that your your precedent. And I think that's escape hatch that that people utilize sometimes. They just need a reason not to. And and showing up, no matter if feeling it or not, you know, a lot of people say, hey, you know, I really didn't feel like coming tonight. Well, you're here. You're here. There's going to be nights that you're going to do extremely good. There'll be times that you don't do as good. And there'll be times that you do really lousy, but you know what? You showed up, you worked through it. You learned how your body reacts. We live true to that adage of, of making the way of life. Not every day in your life, you're going to be smiling. It's going to be peaches and cream. You're going to have your ups and downs and it's how you deal with it and take that on and move forward from it. Definitely agree with that. I keep saying that I hear a thousand excuses why not, but all you need is one to why. Why should I? That was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you. Can you impart some wisdom? You've done an excellent job. <laughs> That's why you're the wise one, Sufi. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. But <laughs> just just sharing some of my experiences, you know, because, you know, we're all human and, and we're all yeah. going to go through these, these moments in time where, you know, you don't want to go out. For example, you know, I, I go down to the academy in L.A., you know, three times a week to train. And it's a two-hour drive one way in L.A. traffic. And if everybody's been in L.A. traffic, it's miserable. You know, it's, it's absolutely miserable. It takes me two hours or more to get there. It takes me 35 minutes to get home. So <laughs> to give you kind of an idea. But there's times, I, you know, I'm sitting there and it's raining, it's pouring. And, and here in Southern California, when it rains, Nobody knows how to drive. So, you know, you're doing dodge car all the way there. You know? So, but it's, it's one of those, you know, you make the commitment, you go, you learn, you know, once you get there and you, you get moving, life is good. And, you know, you're going to walk away with something that's, that's healthy for you, you know, body, spirit, and mind connection. And it, and it will pay off. Getting to the studio is the, you know, the, the bulk of the battle. Once you're there, it's a different story. I, I have one student that I've had for a long, long time, and I think he's at green belt now. He's probably my longest standing green belt. He's probably been green for minimum of 10 years sort of thing. He's he's probably going to get his act together now. But I kept saying to him, you know, he kept saying, oh, you know, we should get back together and train. I said, listen, my friend, 
Your belt will never change colour if it never comes out of your bag. It has to see the sunlight for a start to start fading to change colour. So you need to get it out of your bag. That's that's, that's the that's the start of it. And then the next battle is getting to the studio. You know, so yeah, definitely agree with yeah. that. Thank you, Sifu Z, for uh, jumping in on the Mind Sensei podcast and giving us a bit of insight. Uh, much appreciated. Well, thank you for having me on there. It's always a pleasure being with you and uh, catching up on good old stories. And uh, like the other night, you know, you you and I kept going on and on, and we had to <laughs> call it quits. I think it was like one o'clock in the morning over here, yeah. and you and I would have kept on going. So <laughs> yeah. it's always a pleasure, and yeah. I, I really appreciate your friendship and your interest in doing this and helping promote the arts and and all of us, you know, moving forward. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Wow, what an amazing conversation we had with Sifu Z in this two-part series. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this incredible insights and experiences in the world of Kempo. But wait, there's more. If you haven't already, be sure to check out part one of our conversation with Sifu Z to get the full story on his journey to becoming a ninth-degree Kempo master. In part two, we'll move even deeper into World of Kempo and learn even more about Sifu Z's unique approach to the art. And the best part, this is just the beginning of our podcast series. We have so many amazing guests and topics lined up, we can't wait to share with you. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on any exciting content we have in store. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, keep practicing, keep learning, keep pushing your limits, and become the best version of yourself. I'm your host Peter Taz and you've tuned in to the Mind Sensei podcast from Down Under. We want to take a moment to thank all our listeners for tuning in to the Mind Sensei podcast. We appreciate your support and hope our show has been both informative and entertaining for you. If you haven't already done so, we would like to invite you to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know when we release new content and you'll have access to all of our past episodes. We also encourage you to visit our website at mindsensei.au where you can find additional resources related to martial arts. On our site, you can read blog posts, videos and learn more about the guests we feature on our show. Finally, we'd like to thank our guests for sharing their knowledge and experience with us. Without their generosity, this podcast would not be possible. Thank you again for listening to the Mind Sensei podcast down under. We hope that you continue to join us on this journey through the world of martial arts.